0: and welcome to my heart to heart podcast. I am your host, Kathy Jo Hart. I am a Christian speaker and author of God's Chosen Helper. Our focus is to discuss the hot topics of the day and how it relates to the Bible and the lessons through the love of Christ. Today, I am going to continue with the topic of biblical principles and values with an emphasis on human value. In our last episode, we talked about the misinterpreted 1963 Supreme Court ruling that opened the door to an extreme interpretation of government neutrality on religions. As a result, our culture and government have a pervasive devotion to the secular ideology that has brought hostility towards Judeo-Christian values and religions. We are also going to take a look at the newer science of social psychology to discover the effects social peer pressure has on influencing authority, compliance, and its impact on determining human value. When I began writing this episode, I decided to do a quick Google search to inquire how society determines human value. I received two answers. The AI answer stated that the question was complex and multifaceted. It then provided me with the top answer, which was based upon an economic computation of age, of gender, occupation, wages, and amounts saved in a retirement fund. And then, interestingly enough, the second paragraph said, from a philosophical perspective, human life attributed to God is valued by God since the beginning of life in the womb. And then by the third paragraph, you know, went back to the money valuation of human life that reflects our values as a society. I had to sit on that one for a moment, you know. The first thought that came to me was Ecclesiastes, written by King Solomon, who was one of the wealthiest and wisest men in all of history. It is actually one of my favorite books in the Old Testament, because here's a guy who had it all. He had wealth and love and power, and yet he was never satisfied. He contemplated the value of life and basically said that pleasures, work, wisdom, and money, all of it was meaningless. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 10 it says whoever loves money never has money enough whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income this too is meaningless so if our society determines human value is based on money then as king solomon said that value is meaningless when you die Anything of monetary value will be left to someone who didn't earn it, or even maybe someone who didn't deserve it, right? What was King Solomon's conclusion? Human value is meaningless without God. In chapter 12, verse 13 and 14, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Then how does God view life? Man, woman, and child, born and unborn, are a gift from God. Every life has intrinsic value, from the womb to the grave. God doesn't display favoritism. He loves all of us. And this is how we are supposed to see one another, through the eyes of God. As it says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. Then what are the Christian principles that atheists and secularists want to eliminate? To have Christian values in a non-sectarian way means values are supposed to represent the best of humanity, like love and joy, patience, kindness, gentleness, honesty, respect, self-control, gratitude, and peace. And then you add commandments six through ten. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. Who wouldn't want these as values? These are values we should all strive to achieve. Instead, we have values that are antithetical to what is best for humanity, such as anger, rudeness, selfishness, hate, greed, violence, intolerance, lying, stealing, murder, and moral depravity. For the secular culture, value isn't in human life. There is more value in the elimination of consequences that devalue Human life. Should the value of life then be determined by other factors such as quality or usefulness? If so, then the value of life is nothing more than a commodity. The answer is that without Christian principles and values, a secular society has an inability to define the value of life without being in total conflict. If consensus of human reasoning is used to determine human value, then what would prevent the majority to commit genocide in the promotion of the common good? Isn't this what happened in the Holocaust? Prior to World War II, the field of social psychology was more philosophical, but with the casualties of war, There were growing demands to learn more about PTSD and other mental health issues associated with war. The government provided federally funded programs to learn more about personalities, about interpersonal relationships, and group behavior. Many social experiments were conducted after World War II. What we have seen as a result are experiments designed to use real-time learning environments to test new theories. We have seen these types of experimental theories used in public schools since the Department of Education was founded in 1978. We have also seen the devastating effects of these unproven theories, such as eliminating vocational education in the public schools, leave no child behind, new math, common core math, zero tolerance policies, etc. Every five years, new experiments replace failed theories. As Thomas Sawall said, you have people making decisions for which they pay no price when they are wrong, no matter how high the price other people pay. Let me say this again. You have people making decisions for which they pay no price when they are wrong, no matter how high the price other people pay. This means zero accountability for those who make decisions that hurt others. The education system sees its students as a commodity, and without values and principles guiding the authorities, then the price becomes too high. We are currently seeing this with gender theory in the public school system and sports. None of these programs have been tested prior to entering the school system. As we are witnessing the consequences of these failed experiments, schools are facing crisis after crisis at the expense of education and at the expense of the physical and emotional health of the child and at the expense of the parent-child bond. One of the earliest experiments were the Nuremberg Trials. The overwhelming question for psychologists was how to hold those accountable who carried out the atrocities of the Holocaust. How can one be held responsible if they were simply, as the German prisoner said, just following orders? The lead psychologist was Dr. Gustav Gilbert. He was a prison psychologist of the German prisoners and the high-ranking Nazi leaders. Although he used psychological tests to detect if the prisoners had any mental illnesses, his main approach was using casual conversation to get to know their thoughts and motivations. He created a real-time psychological laboratory to clinically dissect barbarism in its extreme form, Now, the end product of this experiment led him to write the infamous book, The Nuremberg Trials. His approach opened the doors to the science of social psychology, researching the thoughts and motivations of beliefs, of opinions, and behaviors. One of the best-known social experiments inspired by the work of Dr. Gilbert was conducted by Dr. Stanley Milgram. His experiment focused on the study of obedience, and he used the same premise that the German soldiers and the Nazi leaders used during the Nuremberg Trials of, should they be held equally accountable for the Holocaust deaths if they were just simply following orders? His experiment was known as the Shock Experiment. There were 40 males between the ages of 20 and 50. Their backgrounds varied from unskilled to professional. They were paid $4.50 each as participants. The two roles were of the learner and teacher. Each naive participant would draw straws to determine which role they would have. All naive participants drew straws to be the teacher, and the learner were stooges who were actors that were part of the experiment. The learner was hooked up to electrodes in one room, and the teacher and researcher went into another room that had an electric shock generator. The generator had a row of switches marked from 15 volts, which is a mild shock, to 375 volts, a severe shock, and one marked 450 volts. This high voltage was the danger zone and was considered extremely severe. The teacher believed the shocks were real, but in reality, the learner was an actor pretending to be shocked. The goal of the experiment was to see how far people would go in obeying an instruction if it involved hurting another person. Both learner and teacher met each other before the start of the experiment. The learner was then strapped to a chair. The learner was provided a list of word pairs, and the teacher would test him by naming a word, and the learner would try to recall the pair from a list of four possible choices. When the learner said the wrong answer, the teacher was told to administer an electric shock each time the shock level would increase. The teacher could not see the learner during the test. He could only hear his cries of pain. The learner mostly gave wrong answers. If the teacher refused to administer the shock, the researcher would give him four prods to influence the teacher to shock the learner. The prods went from, hey, don't worry, the pain is temporary, so please go on, to, you have to do it until he answers correctly. The results? All of the naive participants continued to 300 volts. At 300 volts, it was painful, but not to the point of severe and 65%, which was two-thirds of the naive participants, continued to the highest level of 450 volts. Dr. Milgram said the following, Stark authority was pitted against the naive participants' strongest moral imperatives against hurting others, and with the naive participants' ears ringing with the screams of the victims' Authority won more often than not. The extreme willingness of adults to go to almost any lengths on the command of an authority constitutes the chief finding of the study. The shock experiment then used different locations and different authoritative figures in further tests. The basic conclusions were similar, with the exception of two findings— If the teacher knew they would be held responsible for their own actions, the test showed they would not administer the shocks. If the teacher ordered an assistant to push the shock buttons, the results were 95% used the highest level of 450 volts. Just think about that those who were held responsible for their actions would not administer the shocks at all. But more surprising and disturbing was that if they had someone else push the buttons, 95% used the highest voltage available. Even the screams of pain did nothing to stop it. Wow. Another social experiment was conducted by Solomon Asch in 1951 called the Conformity Experiment. Now, this experiment was to see the extent of social peer pressure from a majority group and how it affects a person to conform. He conducted a line vision test with 12 groups of eight participants each, Seven participants were stooges, and one was a naive participant. Each question was answered in order, with the naive participant answering last. With the social pressure of answering the questions aloud, the seven stooges purposely gave the wrong answer. So what do you think happened? The test concluded that 75% of the naive participants conformed to the popular wrong answer, while 25% did not conform and gave the correct answer. When the answers were recorded in private and without social pressure, only 1% gave the wrong answer. So why did 75% of the naive participants conform to the wrong answer? It's because they wanted to fit in. Without peer pressure, it went down to 1%. And note, that 1% just didn't know the correct answer. This study demonstrated peer pressure influences social behavior, whether it is right or wrong. And note that in both experiments, those with a more rebellious, independent personality were less likely to conform with authoritative instruction or social peer pressures. The other side of these experiments is that peer pressure can be manipulated by those in authority such as educators, politicians, medical providers, investment bankers, lobbyists, government authorities, and corporations. And we see this happening right now to fundamentally change foundational Judeo-Christian values and principles. It is also through the use of peer pressure we have seen mounting evidence that it is being used to change the perception of how we value life by declaring who has more value and who has less less value. If cultural ideologies can manipulate data, change the meaning of words, change the perceptions of truth and reality, those in authority can easily convince good-intentioned people to do unimaginable atrocities, all in the name of the greater good of humanity. You know, like the greater good at mandated lockdowns, forced vaccinations and masking, all of which quickly lost their effectiveness. These types of peer pressure manipulations worked for Hitler, and we are witnessing it now with the manipulated escalations of group identity divisions within our country. As discussed in previous podcasts, these manipulations are being used to destroy the institution's that have provided our freedoms and liberties since 1776. One of the greatest freedoms being targeted right now is the freedom of religion. If you don't believe me, listen to the hateful rhetoric against Christianity. If you are a Christian, you are labeled an extremist, a bigot, and every single phobic-related word you can think of. You are labeled. And what do identity labels do? Identity labels are designed to do two things. One, to devalue a group of people as a whole. And two, to tell others how they are to be treated. It is designed to be dehumanizing, to coerce silence and compliance. And how did we get here? We got rid of God in schools, in society, and in government. This established the basis for secular humanism, a belief that people can solve problems based upon the intellect and experience of the individual. It is through science and reason combined with the baseline belief that human nature is inherently good, that man can create his own moral code without Judeo Christian principles and values. But can they really? Not according to social science. When there is not an authority higher than man, then principles and values are based on consensus of collective human reasoning. The value of humanity would be based on intellectual interpretations of data, constantly correcting or changing moral imperatives, rules, and values. There would be no moral law as it would be seen as self-defeating. And this is why we have petulant childlike behaviors with massive meltdowns over pronouns and missed french fries in a fast food order. Collective human reasoning is easily manipulated because people around us shape our thoughts our feelings, our moods, attitudes, and perceptions. It affects our emotional health and well-being. It affects the choices we make and the actions we take. The biggest downfall is in the assumptions that people believe they have good intuition skills. But this isn't a skill set based on science, but a false sense of assumptions through an egocentric lens. People overestimate how much others share their beliefs, their opinions, their values, and behaviors. And this is why people become intolerant of anyone who differs from their opinions. You don't believe in the same things. You just insulted their intelligence, literally. Here is a social experiment conducted in 1977 that proves human values are based upon a false consensus of the self called the false consensus effect. Lee Ross, a social psychology professor at Stanford University, conducted an experiment that focused on how people can incorrectly conclude that others think the same way they do by forming a false consensus about the beliefs and preferences of others participants were provided with hypothetical situations and choices in which a conflict occurred they were provided with two alternative ways of responding to the situation and they were asked to do three things one guess which option other people would choose two say which option they themselves would choose, and 3. Describe the attributes of the person who made the opposite choice. The results? The study showed that most of the participants believed that other people would do the same as them, regardless of which of the two responses they actually chose themselves. This phenomenon is referred to as the false consensus effect, where an individual thinks that other people think the same way when they may not. The second observation is that when participants were asked to describe the attributes of the people who would likely make an opposing choice from their own, they made bold and negative predictions about the personalities of those who did not share their choice. And this is why There are massive divisions amongst identity groups. If you do not agree with their ideology and perceptions, you are called names and bullied. It doesn't have anything to do with right or wrong. It is the automatic disqualification of a person's value if you do not share their intellectual beliefs and they will try to destroy anything or anyone who goes against them because truth is connected to their self-idealization of their own intellect. It is not based on truth or fact or right or wrong. It is a personal attack against them. And this is why human value debates are unwinnable in 2 corinthians chapter 10 verse 12 it says we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves they are not wise and this is why secular principles and values based on a measurement of themselves, by themselves, is the worst way to govern a free and civilized society. It simply does not work. And I pose this question to you. If we know culture can be easily influenced by social peer pressure, then why are Christians silent? Think about that. If we know culture can be easily influenced by social peer pressure, then why are Christians silent? We need to be vocal in our Christian faith and in our praise of God. Silence is not a virtue. Silence is exactly what the enemy wants. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, it says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. As Christians, we are never to be ashamed or intimidated in sharing our joy and love of the Lord. It is our responsibility to share the Word of God to as many people as possible, Standing firm on Christian principles and values, as it says in Proverbs chapter three, verses five to seven, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and shun evil. Just know we are in a spiritual battle and we need to be prepared to fight against evil that is trying to destroy our freedoms and liberties. People of faith in our churches and places of worship will be the target of anger and hate by those who will try to use force to intimidate us into compliance. Remember, hate is evil, period. Satan is using every device of depravity to divide us. And as Christians, we must be united by standing firm on the word of God. We cannot be afraid of evil. In Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 12, it says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Above all else, religious or secular, we should all agree with a golden rule found in Matthew 7, verse 12. In everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. This is the duty of humanity. You see, God doesn't conform to peer pressure, and neither should we. In Jesus' name, amen.